It's Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the AI-generated Seinfeld parody cartoon that never goes off the air. Plus, Netflix did not read the room when they announced the AI image generation in their latest anime short, and a smartwatch that stops working if you don't keep the living organism inside of it alive. It's a high-stakes Tamagotchi, and it has an intriguing purpose. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. We should have a contest to see who can eat the most hot dogs and then finish with ice cream. You know what would be really crazy? What? Tell me. If Larry became a competitive figure skater. No way. That would be completely ridiculous. Yeah, but I bet he'd make a great triple axel. That's some dialogue from a Twitch stream currently going a bit viral called Nothing Forever. It's a 24-hour non-stop stream of an AI-generated Seinfeld parody. The visuals are all pixel cartoons that look vaguely like the four main characters of the 90s sitcom. The backdrop is Jerry, or sorry, Larry's apartment, with transitional exterior shots outside of the building. Some episodes end with Larry up at the mic doing a stand-up bit. There's background music and even a laugh track. As I record this, there are over 15,000 people watching it live, and the chat is on fire. Quoting Vice, Skylar Hartle and his co-creator Brian Habersberger used a combination of machine learning, generative algorithms, and cloud services to build the show. Hartle told Motherboard that the dialogue is powered by OpenAI's GPT-3 language model and that there is very little human moderation of the stream outside of GPT-3's built-in moderation filters. Aside from the artwork and the laugh track you'll hear, everything else is generative, including dialogue, speech, direction, i.e. camera cuts, character focus, shot length, scene length, etc., character movement, and music. One of the creators wrote in a Reddit comment, end quote. Hartle says that the show can effectively change based on feedback from the Twitch stream chat, which could be how this very pro-billionaire scene happened this afternoon. The Elaine character said, I went to the store downstairs and saw a top I wanted to buy, but when I went to the cashier, she said it was free. Why do you think that happened? And then the George character replied, I have no idea, but I did hear that the store was recently bought out by a really generous billionaire. That's so nice of him, don't you think? Definitely. I think it's a really good way to give back to the community. Alright, sure. By the way, if you want another human-generated Seinfeld parody, Tumblr has been on a queer-trans Seinfeld joke bent for the better part of the last year. None of the posts are really centralized or tagged, but I'll put a couple of standout posts in the show notes if that's your kind of thing. It is remarkable how many of the posts sound like they could be real Seinfeld episodes, if you were producing the show in 2023 with an all-trans cast, that is. But in general, Seinfeld is a pretty good show to parody, since the point of it was that it was about nothing. Which is part of what makes the AI-generated Nothing Forever work so well, too. Even when the characters deliver nonsensical lines, it still kind of feels like an episode of Seinfeld. 
In other words, it was a great starting point for this kind of project. And starting point is exactly how Hartle and Habersberger are viewing it. Hartle told Vice, quote, As generative media gets better, we have this notion that at any point, you're going to be able to turn on the future equivalent of Netflix and watch a show perpetually, nonstop, as much as you want. You don't just have seven seasons of a show, you have 700 or infinite seasons of a show that has fresh content whenever you want it. And so that became one of our grounding pillars. Our grounding principle was, can we create a show that can generate entertaining content forever? Because that's truly where we see the future emerging towards. Our goal with the next iterations or next shows that we release is to actually trade a show that is like Netflix-level quality. End quote. Ambitious. Probably possible. But is that what people want? Kate Hudson, not that one, is firmly against this idea, writing in the Mary Sue in response to Hartle's statement, quote, Does anyone else get the feeling we're at the beginning of a horror movie here, where these small changes in the way things are made are going to have shockingly huge repercussions in a short amount of time? This seems like a hellish landscape to me, a never-ending show that is completely tailored to an individual viewing experience, Communal TV watching was a true joy of growing up, and there's something disturbing about having content tailor itself to you. Where's the joy in discovering something new and out of your comfort zone? It's the equivalent of being an adult who never ventured outside of trying the foods they ate as a toddler. What is the point of all this suffering, taxes, heartache, and lack of elasticity in my damn skin if it's not to grow and discover new things I enjoy as I age? The idea of coming home, turning on the TV, and having some computer tailor program to my specific tastes is horrifying. Who's this for, exactly? I truly loathe the idea of taking art out of the hands of creatives and putting it into a computer's algorithm to spit out a show tailored to what it thinks your interests are. End quote. Strong words. But that point at the end, about taking art out of the hands of creatives and putting it into a computer's algorithm, is one that a lot of other people shared some very strong words about today. That is because Netflix just released a new anime short called The Dog and the Boy, which used AI-generated background art instead of background art drawn by human artists. The firestorm was particularly ignited in response to Netflix Japan's announcement tweet about the short in which they said, quote, As an experimental effort to help the anime industry, which has a labor shortage, we used image generation technology for the background images of all three-minute video cuts, end quote. Not only are many artists already feeling threatened by AI image generation and appalled by the tension that it creates in culling from artworks without permission, but the buzzword labor shortage in that tweet had many more up in arms. As Vice explained, quote, Demand for new anime productions has skyrocketed in recent years, but the industry has long been fraught with labor abuses and poor wages. In 2017, an illustrator died while working, allegedly of a stress-induced heart attack and stroke. In 2021, the reported salary of low-rung anime illustrators was as little as 200 a month, forcing some to reconsider the career as a sustainable way to earn a living while having a life outside work, buying a home, or supporting children. Even top animators reportedly earn just $1,400 to $3,800 a month, as the anime industry itself 
boomed during the pandemic amid a renewed interest in at-home streaming. In 2021, the industry hit an all-time revenue high of $18.4 billion. End quote. And Mashable adds that in September, Netflix's American studio, Netflix Animation, laid off 30 employees to, quote, streamline production, end quote. So many would say it's not so much a shortage as many artists realizing they can't afford to continue working in the field as it is. But for a little more info on how the AI background art worked in this case, quoting again from Mashable, according to images shown during the dog and the boys credits, a human would draw a relatively rough layout of what they wanted by hand. This image was then put through an AI art generator a few times before finally being revised by hand to create the final artwork that was used in the anime. Exactly who it was that did this work is unclear, as the dog and the boy doesn't credit them by name. Instead, it simply lists its background designer as AI, parentheses, plus human. End quote. The film was created by Tokyo-based Netflix anime Creators Base in collaboration with Rina Inc., an AI-generated artwork company, as well as with production company Wit Studio. And from Ars Technica, quote, They did not announce exactly what type of technology Rina used to generate the artwork, but the process looks similar to a stable diffusion-powered image-to-image process that can take an image and transform it based on a written prompt, end quote. And Benj Edwards at Ars Technica pointed out that director Ryotaro Makihara may have wanted to experiment with AI in a more purely artistic way. Makihara said in a Netflix statement translated by Google Translate, quote, By combining tools and hand-drawn techniques, we can create something unique to humans. I think that the core of the story is drawing a human being. I think that it will be possible to secure and return to its roots, which will eventually strengthen Japanese animation and expand its possibilities." End quote. And listen, considering the story of the short film is about the friendship between a boy and his robot dog, I think it's a cool thing to combine some AI processes here. The problem to me comes when, instead of saying that, you say that you did it because of a labor shortage. Now, personally, I am not completely anti-AI being used in artistic fields. I think there are a lot of ways in which it could be useful, in speeding up production or helping create all new techniques, and maybe even in inspiration, you know, helping fuel new ideas. But where I get nervous is when AI is viewed as being able to replace human artists or claim new work when it was really generated using other people's artwork, sometimes without credit or permission. And Hudson over at the Mary Sue argues that another pitfall of AI is that it will never be able to create something as wholly original as a human can, saying, quote, A human can create from nothing but a computer can only reassemble from the algorithm it's been supplied with, end quote. Now, I don't know that I fully agree with that point. I mean, so much of human-created art is collaborative and iterative, riffing on existing work. You know, up until we started getting more serious about copyright in the 19th century, it was accepted that a lot of books and plays were just rip-offs of existing works. Now, the need for artists to get paid fairly for their own creations is why we have copyright, so it's good in that sense, but it did pretend a sea change in how audiences think about the idea of originality. 
And nowadays, of course, we've gone back to the realm where everything is a sequel, a reboot, a remake, or a spin-off, which most people are sick of, because again, our conception of original and its tie to good changed over the generations. That jadedness with reboots and franchise expansions is probably why the supremely original Everything Everywhere All at Once has swept the Oscar nominations this year. So I agree that originality in art is awesome, and that humans can do that way better than AI can on its own. And absolutely, I want artists to be paid and not have their careers and livelihoods threatened by AI. And also, I think there can be a place for AI in art, if we think it through and go about it in a thoughtful way, which, frankly, I don't have a ton of hope for. You know, sometimes it reminds me of social media, where we had this huge new thing that turned out to monumentally shift society, and it was created by people whose expertise were business and technology, not sociology or psychology or civics, things that in hindsight might have been really useful to consider early on. And now, at least where it's intersecting with art, we've got a lot of tech and business-minded folks again getting really excited about possibilities here and barreling ahead at full speed without maybe listening as much as they should to the people whose field they're impacting. Well, speaking of being thoughtful about our relationships to technology, a team of scientists from the University of Chicago have created what is basically a real version of a Tamagotchi. It's a smartwatch with a slime mold in it that powers the heart rate sensor function of the watch. And if you don't care for the slime mold by feeding it oats every other day and water twice a day, it dies and the health monitoring on your watch ceases to function. Quoting Gizmodo, The researchers tested the smartwatch in a study involving five women who were all around age 30, who each wore the device for anywhere from 9 to 14 days, or long enough to experience both the slime in a caring phase where it grew and flourished, and a neglect phase where it was less successful but never fully died. The results were probably what the creators of the original Tamagotchis were hoping for. The test participants felt a greater sense of responsibility to care for the smartwatch and the creature inside it, and genuinely got a sense of it being a living being as they watched the oats they added being slowly consumed over time. It was also difficult for some of the participants to transition to the neglect phase after forming a bond with the slime, despite the reduced daily responsibilities of caring for it. End quote. Interesting takeaways, and the watch itself is a cool idea, and while quite bulky, looks pretty cool. But the big question is why? Apparently, it's an effort to reduce e waste. Stay with me here. According to IFL Science, a total of 53.6 million metric tons of electronic waste was recorded in 2019. That is a huge strain on the planet. And according to the paper published about this watch, a bunch of researchers and policymakers have previously argued that we could reduce that waste if we had a different relationship with our devices. As the researchers put it, a lot of devices have been designed to be seamless and invisible. 
Quoting the paper, While this is desirable and useful in many ways, this invisibility is not without shortcomings. A striking one is that it has the unfortunate side effect of conditioning users to see devices as distant entities, or even conditions users to not engage with the environmental implications of consumer devices. Many have been exploring how to create alternative, more caring relationships and attitudes in the hope that by changing the relationship, users might connect more responsibly with their devices and thus extend their devices' lifetimes, end quote. It's a fascinating idea to reflect on. You know, so many people depend on their devices, almost like lifelines at this point. I have long thought of them like the wands in Harry Potter. You know, the magical people in those books without wands, children, people who've had them taken away or are too impoverished to get one, are at a huge disadvantage in society. Individuals feel an intense connection to their wands, which are personalized just for them and enable them to perform tasks from cleaning and carrying objects to transforming entire animals or, well, killing each other. And when those books were first written, there wasn't a real-world analog for the wand. But now, with smartphones, there absolutely is. We are so tied to these devices, and yet we really don't take that great care of them. I mean, just think about how many articles proliferated at the start of the pandemic about how to sanitize your phone, because the vast majority of people never even thought about it before. This is an object you carry with you all day, often take out while you're on the toilet, and yet people aren't even cleaning them regularly. So I guess these researchers really have a point. By and large, we don't take care of our devices that well. And maybe if we did, they'd last a bit longer, so we wouldn't have to throw them away for a new one, or we'd even feel more attached to the one that we have, resisting getting a newer one. I'm not exactly sure how we go from actual slime molds that help power watch to replicating that same behavior in devices without slime molds. I think this study was kind of more of a proof of concept to show how having to care for a living creature made people care more for the device. But hey, maybe the answer is putting little slime molds in each of our devices that we have to feed or else we get locked down of certain apps. The Tamagotchi generation would certainly be into it. Although, based on how often most of us killed our little Tamagotchi pets, we would also probably be absolutely terrible at it. Well, that is going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.